really what we wanted to do was just do a couple of things uh, this year. And one was to establish the identity of the Eagles and the way that we wanted to operate the Eagles environment. And the, and the second one was to kind of feed the pathways and begin the next generation. So look at the top of the of the Eagles, if you consider the men's national team as the top of the chain and say, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's make that something that's worth being a part of. And then let's start to put the vehicles in place. So, you know, when I look at the end of year tour, I believe that the team has found itself and its identity and its leadership core and the way in which we want to train and play and apply themselves within the sport. And then when you look at the um, Dom B. Sags or the potential of a Stefan Krimp from the 20s coming through into the mm. senior Eagles towards the end of the year, you start to go, okay, you know, we're, maybe we're making some progress to, towards those two things. This is show number two on the day. It's been a long day. Earlier today, we had USA seven-star Madison Hughes joining us uh, shortly, between, be, uh, shortly before noon East Coast time. He came in from Dubai, which is like 8.30 around bedtime for him. Uh, as he's preparing for re- his return to USA 7. So check out that podcast if you didn't check it out. Check us out live. It is live uh, on your favorite podcast player already. Uh, but tonight, uh, in a few minutes, we have Scott Lawrence, uh, the USA Rugby Men's uh, 15s interim head coach, joining us in just a few minutes. So please stay tuned for that. I'm Bill Baker of Eagles Overseas, and my co-host is Rugby Morning's John Fitzpatrick. Welcome back, Fitzy. How you doing? Two shows in a day, man. Again, like I said earlier, am I getting paid double for this? Uh, like I said, I'm going to pay you at least 100 times. <laughs> uh, did you get a nap in? I mean, it's been a long day. <coughs> <laughs> How did you know? Because <laughs> you have young kids. <laughs> I've, I've been there. Uh, <laughs> hey, I nodded off on the couch for a couple minutes. Good yes. for you. I'm, I'm proud of you, man. Uh, hey, by the way, uh, uh, congrats on the 20 years of Washington, D.C. youth rugby anniversary coming out, man. You've been a part of that for a while, right? Or a little bit? Uh, for the last, yeah, for the last maybe four years or so since our oldest started playing touch and now our other two are playing. So it's a great, it's a great nonprofit in the D.C. area. It's free programs all throughout the year, but primarily in the summer. And yeah, celebrating 20 years. Crazy. 20 years is great. I, I was uh, a small part of the Atlanta Youth High School program when that started back in, oh gosh, uh, when I dabbled life for half a season in Old White all those years. I'm bringing it up for a reason. Uh <laughs> But um, yeah, it, it, the high school program in Atlanta. When I got, it just so was so nice to see these kids playing. Um, yeah. So, but you're uh, you're at the younger age because your kids are younger, right? Yeah, they're 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 seven, five and a half, and just turned four. So it's I'm, it's fun just you know, kids that age just having a ball in their hand and having fun. And it's like you don't explain the rules too much, yeah. but here's the ball run, and you know just yeah. So yeah, it's a good time. but that is earlier than you and I ever got into the game. Oh. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully tonight's guest is like, okay, Fitzy, tell me who's good <laughs> at four years old. <laughs> I want to see him in a few years. I'll tell you, there's some talented kids in the D.C. area. I hope they stick with it. That's all I got to yeah, say. Yeah, me too. That'd, that'd be great. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I, I really feel like um, this is one of the biggest days in U.S. Rugby Happy Hour Live history. I know we've only been doing this for mm-hmm. a few years now, but our guest earlier, Madison Hughes, has been trying to get on for a long time, joined us. And in his like debut interview in his return to USA sevens. And then tonight's guest, you know, obviously off his first year, um, heading up the program for the senior side. Um, it doesn't get much bigger than this. I think we got a lot to talk about with our guest tonight. 
Uh, we, and again, everyone listening in, uh, tune into that episode from earlier today with Madison Hughes. It is live already on your uh, podcast, your favorite podcast player, iHeartRadio, uh, Spotify, anywhere, YouTube, Facebook Live, that kind of stuff. It's all on there. So check that out. So with that said, Fitz, let's go. Let's get into our first guest. Uh, um, he, he's much closer uh, in both miles and time zones than Madison was earlier. Madison was like 6,600 miles away. And, and and a couple issues as far as uh, connection goes, but that's just the you know the nature of the game. Uh, but our guest tonight is merely maybe a, a thousand miles away. I'm assuming he's down in Georgia. We'll talk about that. Um, so hopefully the reception is better. So let's all welcome USA Men's Rugby Interim Head Coach Scott Lawrence. Hey Scott, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again, guys. Was I close? Are you down in ATL right now? I'm in the ATL. Yeah. Yeah. The the seven seven oh or the four oh four or something like that. I forget what they what they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the four oh four. Four oh four. Right. So yeah. are you finally getting a chance to relax with the family? I don't think there's any time for that. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's it. Huh? No, that's, that's it. No. <laughs> so listen, uh, I mean, we, we talked about it. We, you've already been on a couple of times. We talked in the stages over your first year. So, I mean, other than scouting, you know, researching opponents, you know, coming up with game plans. I mean, have were you able to take in any other rugby this past year, perhaps, perhaps some World Cup matches as well? You know, I didn't do any in person, you know, I right. watched uh, much, most of them uh, remote, but yeah, caught quite a few games and it's always nice, you know, when you see those teams that have a lot of time together, they get a lot of cohesion and you, you start to see some of the new trends emerge um, uh, throughout the World Cup. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been good to see and and uh, just, I guess, encouraging, you know, I think we saw some of the teams that were in the pools that mm-hmm. you know that we could have been there and and uh as a playing nation and 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 i think i know that we will be able to be in the next one um you know regardless of the expansion but uh that you know where i think we're on the right track right and i was going to say i mean it's got to be um uh, promising for you to see the likes of portugal you know georgia uh namibia whatever else you know have their shining moments it may not be wins but their shining moments in the matches so for you watching that and be like, yeah, we can do that. At least we can do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think if we look at the uh, landscape and the things that are coming together uh, for us here, it's um, it's only going to get better in the next couple of years. All right. So let's start off where we ended or you ended. Uh, Spain, uh, La Villa International Cup, you know, closed out the year with wins over Brazil and Spain. That had to feel good. Is that exactly how you hoped it would end? I think the uh, the wins were certainly nice. Really, what we wanted to do was um, just do a couple of things uh, this year, and one was to establish the identity of the Eagles and the way that we wanted to operate uh, the Eagles environment. and the And the second one was to kind of feed the pathways and begin the next generation. So look at the top of the of the eagles if you consider the men's national team as the top of the chain and say Mm -hmm. you know let's let's make that something that's worth being a part of and then let's start to put the vehicles in place so um you know when i look at the end of year tour i believe that the team has found itself and its identity and its leadership core and the way in which we want to train and play and apply themselves within the sport and then when you look at 
the um, Dom B sags or the potential of a Stefan Krimp from the twenties coming through into the mm. senior Eagles towards the end of the year, you start to go, okay, you know, we're maybe we're making some progress to towards those two things uh, this year. Scott, we had uh, Nate Osberger on on the show while he was in Spain, uh, and he emphasized how winning is contagious and, and how important it was for the group to to end this season, not only with the win, but even a, a two-game winning streak. So uh, w- would you agree with that that, that assessment on uh, you know, how important it is that the winning is contagious for the group? I think so. I think the, one of the things that um... – the coaching staff agreed on right from the beginning uh, when we first got to better together in July was to make it a hyper competitive environment with lots of gameplay and 15 on 15 and small group stuff so that the feeling of winning and losing and competing and being in tight spots and working your way out was something that was always uh could be, was continual uh, in the environment. So, you know, that idea, it, I, I think, you know, we started to see the team evolve where they uh, were confident to stay the course. They knew they could win. They knew how to win in tight spots uh, where maybe the team hadn't been able to do that uh, in, in the past, in the last kind of 20 minutes. So, you know, they got to celebrate wins all throughout the week. It was actually quite fun when you have guys like Nate Osberger around or just positive energy and mm-hmm. just bring that celebration of little practice wins, you know, uh, every every day. And then, you know, I think it, uh, I think it carried over into the games. Um, it feels it feels good for the players to win. I think they know need to need to feel that uh, and then needs to get the buy in. Um for me, I would have, I would have been satisfied with with the performances we had, um, regardless of the result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and speaking of Nate and some calling out some of the individual performances here, Nate seems to be getting better with age. <laughs> Maybe even a position change, but then you have guys like, you know, Joe Mano on the other wing, young and impressive in his debut, and Luke White. He played impressive at eight. Man, he had some really good carries in in those matches. What? What stood out for you uh, from from Joe and, and Luke in, in their performances in that two that two game winning streak so far? I think with with Joe in game one, he was probably he he'd tell you he was on the um, the scoring end of a some team tries, you know, <laughs> that he could convert in space and and I think the thing that is underrated in Joe's game and what got him a start in the second game of the series was his defense. And if you can, uh, if you have a instinctual wing who can play uh, high wing uh, defense and make good reads on the edge, uh, it's a game changer. And so when you look at Joe, you know, he, he benefited from a try uh, in the, in the second part of the game by doing that. And he created an opportunity Mm -hmm. uh, on, on the other wing. Uh, by doing just that. So I think, uh, you know, we know Joe is open in space and he, he's good in space and a finisher. I think an underrated part of his game is um, is his defense. I think with, with Luke, it was just putting him in a position to do what Luke does best. Um, again, you know, Luke was our leading dominant tackler in the team mm. uh, over this series, but uh, working on uh, just some 
things where he could be more animated with the ball in his hand uh, to give himself a little bit of room. A guy like that, he just needs a half shoulder uh, instead of a full shoulder, and he's going to get through, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, those we saw some real growth in in Luke's game, you know, in in just a little bit of that footwork and animation. And Scott, you know, you talked about coaching staff earlier. Uh, you know, you know, many of them playing and coaching other uh, rugby nations. Uh, what was their take on, you know, our USA's rugby landscape and, you know, are they handling it well? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're still learning, um, yeah. uh, but uh, enormously open and just they, they've just been really good. So they, they get a bit of a, a smaller snapshot because they just see the players that are that mm-hmm. are selected. Uh, we did a lot to try and connect them via video and coach calls and things like that um, with uh, with the MLR teams. But um, I, I think um, it's safe to say, you know, Alama uh, is now uh, going to be on the ground uh, mm-hmm. here and he's going to learn the landscape and he's really excited to do that. Good. Uh, real quick, listeners, if you're here live on the Twitter mobile app, um, you give us uh, if you want to have a question for Scott, myself, or Fitz, you can request it from the bottom left of the app, and we'll get get you up here as soon as possible, and we'll drop you out down after. No offense, we're just going to clean up the room. If you are listening in live on YouTube or or Facebook, go ahead and drop a comment in those uh, in those comment sections as well. Get them up here as soon as you can. So, Scott, uh, a shining moment against Spain. You know, I don't know if it had much to do with the result of the match, but to see, you know, Mitch and Bailey Wilson take the pitch together in a USA uniform was a special moment. Was that something written in your notes that if you can make it happen, uh, you would do that for that very exact reason? Um, not so much. You know, I think I mm. think Bailey earned right. earned his, his, you know, his spot and he earned his cap and he, he uh, started that journey and... Um, you know, he went all the way through tour, uh, through Europe and, you know, oh, yeah. and then, uh, got his game time in, in Salt Lake city. So we, d- we didn't think about it, but it was, you know, I think you go through the capping ceremony, uh, at, after a player earns their first cap, it's a, you know, kind of a private thing amongst the team, but mm-hmm. I will say it was, a, you know, it was, uh, Mitch was involved in it and, uh, it was a pretty special moment, I think for everybody. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the last time they, they played in the same pitch together outside of um, that last Utah was the MLR match when Mitch got his, his butt rung and knocked out yeah. in, in yeah. front of family. So yeah. <laughs> in this instance, it's much better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And glad to see Mitch back up and going again. Of course. Yeah. 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 Uh, so let's talk about momentum, Scott. Uh, momentum can be, you know, a fleeting feeling, obviously, in sports and life. You know, what would you say, uh, um, would you say, obviously, I'm sorry, would you say the program has some momentum going into 24? I think around the standards of what it means to be an Eagle, I I do. Um, good. I think, you know, we had a, a good-sized playing group uh, through this uh, July to November that all stayed on the program. Uh, Alex Ross did a fantastic job with our um, performance, our strength and conditioning, and our overall robustness. And I, they saw the results of doing the right kind of work, the right intensity. And and so that, you know, when, when players, especially American players, 
work hard. It's very important for us as Americans to do hard work. And when they do hard work and you, they can see the result in a, in a metric that says, I have achieved an international level of conditioning, um, it gives them confidence, immense confidence and belief. And so, you know, I don't know if that's momentum, but I think it's a proof point for them to say, when I go to the very core of what it means to be an American, and that means to work hard, uh, that I'm going to, I'm going to improve and there's going to be results. Scott, it's um, it's review time. You're you're a teacher here, so you've got what five test matches? I guess six games if you count that exhibition against uh, Toulouse. In your tenure as interim head coach, what grade would you give yourself? Um, wow, that's a great one. I'm gonna say solid B. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. B plus. So, yeah, go with that. <laughs> Bill always got graded on a curve, so his grades were always inflated. <laughs> I usually held it down. Curve. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other way to look at it, I guess. But so, B, what uh, what would you say um, needs improvement, or what are you still working on? I think um, you know I'll, I'll step back and say, from a GM perspective, I think we were able to focus at the U20s and the senior team, and the you know a little bit on the Hawks, but uh, I think our our U18s is a next level of investment and our criteria around how we select and identify players and really move from possibly even identifying to more recruiting of, uh, of, of players um, is probably fits our model a little better. So I'd say that was the, that was the biggest part of the improvement I'd, I'd want to make into next year. I think um, when we look at the total portfolio of things that make the team really run well, uh, I, I think we, we need to press harder on our operational bits in terms of getting maximum performance from the way that we set the environment and uh, the way we travel and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I think we've got a plan to improve those for next year. Got it. And if if you could have extended the year 2023, say, by another month or two, would you have been able to accomplish more? Let me, let me try and rephrase that. Was there anything you wish you could, you wish you had more time for in 2023? Oh, my gosh. When you're national team coach you wish you had time all the time <laughs> uh, now i think uh i think some of the things that you know that are coming in here in the early part of next year i mean i think you guys have seen with the owen farrell announcement around you know mm-hmm. kind of mental health and his his break from international rugby i think performance psychology and well-being of the players um is something that'll be layered into the men's 15s pathway as programmatically as part of the performance plan for next year. Uh, I would have liked to have given that benefit uh, to the players, um, you know, to set them up for their upcoming MLR season. I think, I think that would have been, that would have been, uh, you know, a real, a real plus for them. Uh, listeners, real quick, again, if you're on um, um, YouTube or Facebook, go ahead and leave a comment there and we'll get on in here for you. Uh, we do have one, which I'll get to here in a minute. But also, for those listening in live on the Twitter app, I do recognize a few of you, including some former Atlanta teammates. So if you want to come up and ask a question, don't be shy. We're we're awfully nice, kind of, except for uh, Fitzy. Uh, <laughs> but come on up, have some questions. If not, we have plenty to talk about ourselves. So, 
Scott, let's let's jump into the player pool. Let's talk about current and future players. Uh, I'm going to start with the locks right now. You know, Nate Brakley retiring just recently. A, a really nice last couple of matches for him. Savetta retiring a year ago. You know, how are we looking at the second row as far as prospects? I mean, how deep does it go beyond the point of like Greg Peterson, Cam Dillon, and others? Well, I think if you know, if you look at kind of uh, where we're looking, it's in that kind of lock six, highly athletic back row um going forward so you know when you look at uh sam gala um i think he's a nice a nice prototype of what uh the way we see things uh going forward i think uh we saw a lot of growth uh from cc mahoney Mm-hmm. um in uh in this in this year uh and in the campaign um i think there's a number of kind of lock prospects that are have been signed uh into the mor this year we're still pretty young um there that but i that's a bit of a wait and see to see if they come through in the next year or so and then, you know, looking at um, more player pathways, we talked about Joe Mano earlier. Uh, World Rugby shared a great story about him chronicling the the journey he took, um, you know, uh, to the Warriors and through men's Eagles program. It seemed like he was almost done on his dream at one point to play top flight. You know, it yeah. seems like there are others like Joe Mano like as well players out there in the U.S. trying to get discovered. Have you noticed many players like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the um you know the the other guy that's that's like that that uh, could have easily started in place of Joe was a really tough decision was Ina Futi. Oh yeah. Um you know in Seattle you know if you'd listen to Ina's uh, story he'll tell you you know he was almost forgotten there. Mm. You know in Seattle and then then showed back up and he's he's a wonderful talent but um you know I I think there's always even though we we're not uh, completely amateur anymore I think there's, I think the scouting networks and the identification domestically, even for professional teams and for the national governing body, I think we still got plenty of players that are slipping through the cracks. So it's, it's incumbent on us to have a really solid athlete management. Um, You know, there's software, there's a system for it, but really more the programmatic piece around how we, we track players and identify players and keep tabs on them. Um, that's a that's a major part of kind of twenty twenty four initiatives. And then talking about the Hawks, USA Hawks, can you talk talk more about their program coming into the two thousand twenty four season? We see more matches. What's that going to look like? We're going to have between nine and ten matches. Um, wow. So I've, I've got a ten tentative uh, schedule that's been agreed and. I'm trying to work with our partners to get that signed off here in the next week. So uh, the team will assemble uh, January 6th in, uh, in Charlotte. Uh, We wanted to do that um, ahead of the major league rugby preseason start Mm -hmm. uh, because of the outcomes we want from the program is, uh, you know, they, these guys need an accelerator, a head start. So we wanted to get some extra preseason, by shifting the Hawks a little bit to the left of Major League Rugby, there's uh, less overlap in the number of games that the players would be gone if they're gone from uh, from the MLR. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we hope that, um, you know, by going away a little bit early, having four full weeks ahead of time and <laughs> uh, being able to get 
anywhere up to nine to 10 games uh, of appearances will, you know, and then come in and then it's, you know, week three of major league rugby. Um, we hope that puts them in a spot to get more minutes. Well, please do us a favor. Um, please get it live streamed. All those matches. We got to watch those matches. All right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll toss to you, Fitzy. I'll, uh, I will, uh, I'll tell the right people. <laughs> we'll have bill posted up with his iphone and a, and a wi-fi connection and we'll whatever just... it takes there you go <laughs> i'd love to go back to charlotte yes let's go <laughs> scott looking ahead to the uh the 2027 rugby world cup cycle you know we've i guess fortunately or unfortunately depending on how you look at it we've had a, a fans have had a year head start after not making the 23 world cup to start thinking about the the cycle for 2027 I guess in terms of, you know, I guess the, the question was based around fans, but what can fans, what can they anticipate? Will we see a balance of new players getting time and finding the core 23 for qualifiers? Or is it, or is it more important to get kind of a core group playing together more than before? You know, kind of lots of minutes together. Yeah, I think um, we're going to have a, a nice full test schedule next year. Um, and we'll we'll continue to do like we have uh, now, you know, you need a core a group of players, some of which will be involved in 27 and some of which will not that need to establish the learning and, comp- and competitive environment for the other players that are being introduced into it. And so that's an important role. And, and, and a lot of these more senior players know that that's their role uh, for the next couple of years. So I think, you know, we capped 15 new Eagles this year um, and we will uh, continue as, as long as they are getting minutes in major league rugby and performing well and show upside, we'll continue to introduce more players into the squad in the next year with the idea of um, by 2025 and uh, 2026, having a, a team that's, you know, qualified and then go into 2027. Great. Scott, we've got a, um, an online listener question here talking a little bit about some of the overseas players. Um, looks like AJ McGinty, he won't be able to return to Bristol till at least February, you know, recovering from a surgery where I think his hamstring ripped off his bone, which sounds extremely painful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then of course, uh, Ruben de Haas recovering from his ACL surgery, although it sounds like he had the same surgeon who fixed the ACL of Khaleesi. And then four or five months later, he was playing in the rugby world cup. So <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the question there is like, what's the plan to bring them along? Is it the kind of slowly to make sure they're, they're healthy and, and can contribute meaningfully? Yeah, I think so. I mean, our our next really international window access to the players isn't until July of next year. So their return return will be well in advance of that and and working with their clubs. And, you know, I expect them to have a few months under their belt as long as they stay healthy uh, for an opportunity to be selected next year. Nicely done. Uh, OK, let's go to our first listener, um, Aaron. Aaron Castor, you're out there, man. How you doing? <laughs> Can you hear me? I'm trying this on my we- computer for the first time. Oh, I'm glad it works that way. I didn't know that worked yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the last time um, I was around, uh, it definitely didn't. So I was on my phone. But um, oh. <laughs> Scott, I know you're going to hate me because we work together sometimes. But um, Oh, boy. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I listened to your show with Alex Goff, and then you mentioned some U18 stuff. So I think I'll start with, I guess, blending youth into the senior team, but also um, one of the guys I listened – because you and I have talked about pathways a lot in the past. And one of the things I'm always concerned with, especially rugby and especially when we work with MLR teams, is there is this incredible desire – to like take control of kids when they're 18 and, you know, we want them to only do rugby and, or whatever it is. But one of the things is like for, when it comes to, I guess, talent identification and selection, um, you know, we, we brought in Dominic B sag, uh, in the summer. And then again, uh, this November and he performed fairly well. Um, I'm sure I think, based on some of the games he's played, he probably wishes he performed even better, but he played a lot of minutes and uh, we're going to see a, a really incredible center develop over the next couple of years. Um, but for Jason, I guess the background here is Jason DeVos, who's the general secretary for soccer Canada did a deep dive years and years ago about why soccer can't like both on the men and women's side, it, um, their performance deteriorated, even though that they had more high performance systems and more pathways than ever before. And it was because they were selecting players too young. And this was basically taking kids at 12, 13, 14, and these were going to be our senior internationals. So what is your view, I guess, on, you know, talent ID and, and when is the time for players to develop because I, I think most of the time when I look at players in Europe and all these guys that, you know, make their professional debut at 19, for every Marcus Smith or Owen Farrell, there are hundreds of players that end up playing 10 games and never make it as professionals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think there's probably a couple of questions in there, you know, um, and uh, I think the first the first one around identifying too early is um, mine was much smaller scale, but I had a disastrous U20 campaign by picking the squad early and not introducing new players and new competitive um, it was a major change. Would never do that again. And that's why every Eagles assembly has more players in it than the ones that will actually get on the plane to go to the game is, you know, you need to have a wider net. Um, and you need to create competition and reward for good performance in, in the training environment. So I think the big thing is is not necessarily around uh, rigid criteria. You have to have some sort of filtering exercise. You have to be willing to tell somebody their kid's ugly once in a while. But <laughs> what, you, what you really need to have is in, in what we're driving towards are more experiences – four players between the ages of 16 and 18 and then um, extending the Hawks down into the 18 to 23 age range so that there is a defined set of time where they're not pushed to be a professional too early, but they're also in a full-time environment where they can develop. And that's the true measure of selection. Um, right now we're kind of saying, we're trying to pick these players and they're kind of, they're kind of spread out and 
some are in good programs and others are in better programs. And, and I think the big thing is to, to provide the experiences for them um, so that you can actually get a wider pool of, of players in and see how they matriculate. I, there's more things in the North American soccer landscape than just the selection too early. Um, there's definitely the rigidity and, you know, that uh, of the programming and things that led to some of the, you know, outcomes not being what they wanted there. And um, there's lessons to be learned. But I think that's that's the that's the big thing there. Scott, do we have another 10 minutes or so from you? Do you have time for that? Sure. All right. All right. Two hours. Great. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about more players. Now, uh, we love your concept, not the concept. We love your your idea about, you know, the desire to play for USA, not just play for USA, but uh, the honor of wearing the uniform, you know, the USA logo on it. So when looking at overseas players, like let's just, for instance, Hawaiian prop, uh, Salanola, who's in Ireland, um, USA qualified fly half, uh, Hilsenbeck, who plays in France. Are you concentrating less, more, or the same amount on these overseas talents like them? I mean, you know, with the mindset of what you said about the, the desire to play for the country, is it one of those things where you just reach out and say, you have interest? No. Nope. Okay, fine. Go away. I mean, it, are you concentrating overseas at all? It, for, for me, it's more um, at, at this particular time and where we are with the development of the team is not necessarily recruiting, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, asking guys if they're uh, interested in playing for the United States everybody who's been a part of the program has reached out to us Mm. so far. And I think that's an important first step um, uh, to, to right now to be in the identity of Eagle. And and with the growth of our own professional league here and the number of opportunities for American players, um, that's where we need to be, to be honest, because we have, we have other options. So, um, so I, I think that's that's the big thing is there's a desire to do it. You know, they first uh, reach out and, you know, there are guys that have fallen out of our system that we're trying to get back into our system. So that's where I make a phone call, like, a, no. you know, a Nafi Mafu, who's right. He's over at Beerus mm-hmm. right now coming back from an injury. Uh, he right. would have been in camp had his knee been fully recovered this time around. Great right. second row prospect for the future, um, and uh, you know, so I do. I, re- I reach out to those guys, and for whatever reason, they got lost along the way. They ended up in a French academy somewhere, and and uh, you know, and, and kind of forgotten. And we, we try and go track them down. And in sorry, just lost my voice. Um, and speaking of these players overseas, I mean, there I wouldn't bring him up because if he wasn't such a talent, but. Uh, T.J. Lamasatelli. I mean, do you have any comment about him not making himself available for USA? It could be any reason, contract, whatever over there. But is he someone that you reached out to? And you know, is he? I don't know. Any comment about that situation? You know, I I, I didn't reach out to to T.T. because I really I think Gary went the extra mile in trying to mm. get T.T. into the Eagles and um, ultimately didn't get a response. And, right. you know, so I didn't at that at that point when I came on board, I, I just kind of looked at it and said, you know, if anybody was going to be able to do it and should have done it, it should have happened before. And and so, um, you know, I just kind of moved on from that. 
Yeah, like you said, it's it's the the uh, um, the want to wear the jersey. That kind of thing is important. So, all right, 2024, Scott. What's next? Um, other than a break for the holidays, obviously for you, or maybe you're not having that. But um, uh, how are you beginning the 2024 calendar? Like the first couple months. Uh, the first thing will be. Uh, you know, is to finish up here in December is to wrap up the year and then do a formal review of, uh, of what we've done and kind of do that with the players. And then as we move into this next year, it's as the MLR teams are finalizing their rosters, um, just making sure that we have an accurate gauge and ongoing dialogue with the professional teams around where the American eligible players sit. Uh, and then, uh, we started to publish um, metrics uh, to the playing base, the American playing base. Last year, they were quite simple metrics. Uh, and we feel like um, we have a set of kind of energy-driven metrics that we'll be talking to MLR teams about, to players about, that go along with um, not only the number of minutes and appearances, but the quality of the minutes that they're producing uh, from week to week. I think what that does is gives us uh, confidence that these things are metrics that drive really uh, high density intensity so that they can, they can perform at the international level, but play in their club's uh, system and establish hopefully a common language um, uh, for selection. So that'll roll out, you know, in the first, uh, couple of months, obviously we'll be focused on getting the Hawks, uh, up and running and, and, uh, and getting those games. And then, um, through the, through the season, we'll be visiting teams and visiting players and, and watching games and trying to pick the best squad for July. Yes, Scott, and as we look into 2024 more, um, fans, they care about games, right? And I'm checking my notes here. I could have this number wrong, but I'm reading potentially 13 games in 2024, um, including the, the rebranded Pacific Nations Cup um, you know, when the international window opens up. But um, I guess, can you share when the first test matches in 2024 will be? Yeah, uh, it should be July 6th and then the 13th. Uh, will be the first two, and then um, you know we'll we'll look at a third in that kind of July August. I think one of the things that'll be coming out here, you know, as we go with Pacific Nations Cup, is a new Reg Nine window, which mm-hmm. is you know the release window for professional players to international rugby. Will be grouped into the Southern Hemisphere calendar. Which means a you know a big window, uh, August and uh, and September. So um, I, I think we'll probably I th- I don't think we'll get to thirteen. I think you'll see three in kind of the the July window, three in November. That's six, and then a potential of five uh, through the PNC. You know it can be four or five depending on performance. So Scott, one or two more questions for you. I want to touch on MLR with you really quick. Um, obviously, you have history with MLR. Um, any worry about the conflict with the July playoffs and the July international window, and how will that be handled? Sure, I think um, um, definitely. Uh, a, I wouldn't say a worry, but it is something we have to work through. It, it's uh, it's inevitable. It's a it's a professional league that needs to 
that's providing players professional opportunities and needs to be commercially viable. Um, so there's there's reasons for for the schedule change on the Major League Rugby side. On the international rugby side, it you know what it means is between now and one week before July 6th, we won't see the players uh, in camp. And so, you know, you're going to kind of go away for eight months and maybe get five to six days of prep before your first test match. So I think, you know, we'll have to work on making sure through the metrics I talked about, the players come in in good condition, that we maintain connection uh, to the team and alignment leading into July, but expect the performances to be what they are in, in early July with, you know, as time increases together in August and September through the PNC, I think we'll see the teams, the teams start to, you know, play the way they should. And there's no issues with availability of players, right? I mean, so the league site pro, you know, a top 14, whatever contracts have worked where some players cannot be released is there's, there's no issue for that. Right. That's right. I mean, it's, um, there's a, there's a reg nine window. Um, yep. And which says, you know, we notify all the leagues ahead of time, but you know, on the other hand, you, there's always human behavior is what it is. And sometimes there's things said to players, you know, about renewal of contracts and things. Mm -hmm. And that certainly happened in the past, you know, uh, you know, again, with MLR, with your history, with rugby ATL or, you know, Atlanta, generally speaking with other clubs, uh, what's your take on Atlanta losing an MLR franchise? I mean, that's a tough break. I think it's uh, it's 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 disappointing for the for the city here. I think, uh, and you know, kind of the playing community. I think the fan community um, that got around the team. I think obviously the um, the Rattlers were you know that group of fans mm-hmm. were <laughs> were uh, were a great group, and uh, I think. You know, that 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 part of it's a bit sad. I think, you know, the 404, well, it turned into a different name, but at the time it was the 404 Academy. And right. and what, you know, what we were doing there, I think, you know, I think that part uh, will certainly be missed. But I think the thing that's really dawned on all of us is, uh, you know, with the passing of Marcus Calloway and ultimately right. what that meant for Atlanta and then, then the passing of Bill Webb and what that meant for Toronto. And, you know, these, those are two men who are just absolutely, you know, um, the best human beings on the planet, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you, you lose them and there's, there's a lot of other things that go with it. So, um, it's disappointing, but it's, it's even more disappointing, um, you know, for, for Toronto, um, you know, and, and what's happened there. Yeah, I wish we had more time to talk about that. But I, Scott, I, w- I did one final question for you. Um, and this is more just around the America's Rugby Championship. But uh, it, I'm hearing rumors that potentially that's coming back but more as a U23 level style competition. I, I don't think the uh, the ARC in its form, what I have seen is some um, some potential for some kind of U23 um, competition with inside of what's called uh, RAN, so you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I think there's an opportunity for that. I I think for us, um, the way we're approaching it is it's another opportunity for our U20s uh, to play. We we obviously have an ambition to go back to the Junior World Trophy again this year, um, and so time together starting in May will be critical, and I think it'll fall into that window. 
All right, Scott, listen, man, that's all we have, all the time we have. Um, I mean, if if we had to say it all over again, uh, we would strip the interim tag off your title because, one, it's a mouthful when introducing you. <laughs> and two, because you and really pretty much every USA fan um, believes you deserve it. So, uh, seriously, good luck in this next 2024, not just for the team alone, but for you as far as head coach. Um, and we really do looking forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, man. Enjoy the holidays. You do, too. Thank you. Have a good night. Ooh, Fitzy, that... Man, I wish we had like three hours because there was a lot going on. We had more to talk about. <laughs> he, he committed to 10 more and you said two hours. So I thought we were uh, <laughs> <a little> bit. <laughs> and as soon as we say goodbye, he's like, boom, he's gone. He's not even <laughs> on anymore. Um, but I do want to say the, the Rugby Atlanta deal is tough. I mean, I have a personal connection to Atlanta and all that. And I know I'm looking at other other uh, major cities or, or rugby regions like New York, Boston, you know, California, area, all those Atlanta, you know, they do have a number of teams. There's a good handful of, of, of adult sides. College teams are growing. Kennesaw State has a program that really has picked up. So it, it was a bummer to look at those highlights and watch those games and see maybe 500 people in the stands. It's tough. I know D.C. wasn't much better, but I think they picked up as the years went on. Definitely. Yeah, so it's tough to see that team go. Um, I think they're going to be in L.A. <laughs> we haven't seen a damn thing about it. <laughs> Castro, you want to come back on? <laughs> yeah, come on, Garrett Castro. Let's go. Oh, he's gone. Got, Damn it. You got some comments on that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, um, with that said, guys, uh, you know, we're sorry about Toronto. We really, it's it tough to see Canada lose a program, you know, a franchise. I think people out there are asking Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds to uh, jump in and buy a team. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work at all, but um yeah, it's tough MLR, but it, that was a good show. I, I, I think I think uh, uh, Scott had a lot of great things to say about the program. And a few things kind of surprised us about TT not reaching out to him, about the overseas players um, still reaching them as well. Uh, anything else that caught your mind, caught your caught your your brain? For me, I think the operative word is you know maybe two words: momentum and just maybe optimism. That, that's what I'm feeling. Yeah. Twenty twenty-four. Oh, me too. I, I'm very optimistic myself, and not just yeah. twenty-four, but the next you know the twenty-seven cycle, getting into that World Cup. I'm really excited about it. Well, Bill, you've been drinking Scotch whiskey since we started, so I'm sure you're feeling good. I've been drinking Scotch whiskey since we ended with Madison Hughes <laughs> <laughs> at noon. All right. <laughs> before, I I start, <laughs> before I start messing my words up, let's call it a night. Uh, hey, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. If you missed Madison Hughes, check it out on your favorite podcast player. It is live right now. If you missed most of today's show, it will be live by tomorrow afternoon, Thursday afternoon on your favorite podcast player. And also, we will, do, we will have videos on YouTube and Facebook if you want to listen to it that way. Again, thank you all for tuning in. Check us out next weekend. Thanks again. Have a great week.